The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Second chapter of Luke. I want to read from verse 21 down to the end of the chapter. Follow along with me. This is two stories about uh, that followed very early on in the life of Jesus when he's first eight days old and when he's 12 years old. Listen to this. And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, which means Jehovah's salvation, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of their purification, that is purification of Mary and Jesus, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord in the temple. As it is written in the law, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, that is, belonging to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, which is the sacrifice for poor folks. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him and had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Lord's anointed one. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said... Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. He's holding the baby Jesus, eight days old. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples. A light for the revelation of the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Israel." When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee. They've gone back to their hometown in Nazareth. They returned to Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. The child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days... The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it and supposed him to be in the caravan. And they went a day's journey and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. 
Then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they were astonished, that is his parents. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? Here's Mary uh, rebuking the eternal son of God. Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be involved in my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and the favor of God and men. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word. What an amazing glimpse into the life of Jesus as he has come from eternity to become one of us, born of a virgin and brought up in a home like all of us have been, and how you've worked in his life and how you used him to bring salvation to your people. We thank you for giving us this revelation, and we pray now as we look into it that it would It would be a deep blessing in our hearts. It would draw us to Christ. We'd come to see in even a clearer way that he is the one Savior that we must embrace. He's the only one who can deliver us and make us whole. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of the sermon is from this statement by Simeon. When he looked, he was holding Jesus in his arms, this old man who was a prophet. And he said, now I'm ready to go. Because God had promised him that he wouldn't die until he saw the Lord's Christ, that is, the Messiah. And so he says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You notice he doesn't say, my eyes have seen your Savior. My eyes have seen your salvation. That Jesus is our salvation. That's who he is. And so what we want to do today is just in looking at these two stories, why should every person turn to Jesus as Savior? Why should every person turn to Jesus as Savior? I think we find seven reasons, good reasons right here in these two stories that are very clear to us. Why it is that only Jesus is the Savior. There is no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. We we were saved according to the power of Jesus Christ. Um, So the Savior whom God offers you today is exactly the Savior that you need each one of us. He's the only person who is able and willing to save us from our sins, which includes delivering us from that which would destroy us and making us whole in his sight and the consequences of our sins as well, death. uh, I went to a funeral. I went to a memorial service on Friday. It was actually a funeral. And uh, the guy that died was one of my students at the Bible college. And he was only 62 years old. That seems like such a young person, 62 years old. And the Lord took him home. And uh, there was great rejoicing at what God had done in his life. This guy, Walter Anderson was his name. I had, an, uh, I had him for three different classes. First class he took in the college, I had him. And um, one of the assignments in the course was you had to present a lesson or a sermon at the end of the, the, the last class that related to the subject. We were studying the scriptures, the doctrine of the Bible, and then the doctrine of God, the triune God. Well, what happened was he was the second guy up. 
and uh, about 14 students. And so they're all waiting their turn. And uh, the first and second person did okay. But you know how intimidating it is to get up and speak to a class. And then Walter got up. Um, and he preached his heart out. <laughs> In fact, I had to stop him because he would have preached for probably an hour. He was supposed to go 10 minutes. I think I let him go about 25 minutes. I finally said, okay, that was great. I'm going to stop you now. <laughs> but the rest of the class were totally intimidated. How in the world was it that he could do this? Well, he had lived a hard, hard life, and he came to faith in Christ after spending years in prison. After, after going through a lot of things, he came to faith in Christ. So he, he had a heart that was quite compassionate, overflowing with passion about Jesus Christ. And it was really sad to see him go, but... I'm sure he feels like Simeon. He entered into the presence of the Lord. And um, I praise the Lord for that. Today, as we look at these things, I want to convince you that every person should turn to Jesus as Savior because of these very things that are revealed in these two stories that we're going to look at. The first reason is, is because he came into our world to give us the help that we need. If you notice in verse 25... It says, and there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. What in the world is the consolation? Well, where you can see the meaning of this is, if you remember in John 14, at the last night that Jesus was with his disciples, and he said to them, I'm going to go away and I'm going to sit, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another helper. And that's what the word is here, parakletos, a helper. But there's something unusual about this word. It means a helper who comes to your aid. He comes right into your problem alongside of you is the picture. In fact, it's like the picture, according to J.I. Packer, is a person walking down a, a path and all of a sudden somebody falls in alongside of them and walks down the path with them. And so it pictures this Savior is coming into our world and being with us in order to save us. I remember one time uh, Judy was somewhere in town shopping and the car wouldn't start. And so like a good husband, I gave her several pointers on what she needed to do to get the car started. You know, are you, you have your foot on the brake, you have the key turned on, your lights off, and on and on and on. It wouldn't start. And so I went down there where she was in order to help her. It was the weirdest thing. It was, it was one of those deals that would happen once in a while. We, didn't, we never could figure it out. We didn't know if there was something in the chip in the key or what. But I got there, got into the seat, and it started right up. Uh, it was a total accident. However, you see, that's how much I love my wife. I'm willing to go and help her wherever she's at. That's what this word means. It means that he's the one. They were waiting for the consolation of Israel, the parakletos of Israel, the one who was going to come to his people in order to save them. So every person should turn to Jesus as Savior because he's the one who came into your world in order to help you, that is to save you, to bring forgiveness of sins and wholeness and a relationship with the living God. The second thing, the second reason is, is because he is God's way of salvation, in verse 30, when, it's, when Simeon says, I have seen the salvation of the Lord, he uses a word that means the way of salvation. Stop and think about this a minute. He's holding a tiny little baby, eight days old. And he looks at this baby and he says, now I've looked at this baby and I see the way of God's salvation. This is how God's going to save his people. 
through this little child coming into the world. That's amazing, isn't it? But this is how God is. You go back and read completely through the Old Testament, you discover that God is constantly manifesting his mighty power through weakness. And what appeared to be something so weak, a tiny little baby that couldn't even walk, and Simeon is holding him in his arms, and he says, now my eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. This is how God saves. In the next chapter in Luke, it's going to say, when Christ comes back, everyone will see the way God saves. Because the way that God saves is Jesus Christ. The third reason is that because he, the Lord Jesus Christ, is able to reveal the glory of God to you. In other words, you know how we've talked a lot about the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Why is it that so many people live without any fear of the Lord? It's because they are blind to him. You remember in Job, you remember the book of Job in chapter, in the first 37 chapters, Job is getting really defensive because he's going through very difficult times and his comforters are telling him, you must have sinned. You must have done something wrong and God is punishing you. And finally, and so he gets real defensive and he says, if you know something against me, tell me. But this can't be because I've done something wrong. Because I have walked uprightly before God. Finally, in chapter 38, God shows up. And Job says, I've heard rumors about you, but now I see you, and I repent in dust and ashes. You see, when your eyes are open to the glory of God, you will fear the Lord, because he is glorious. And so Jesus is the one who comes into the world, and we're told that he is the one who reveals the glory. Notice in verse 32, it says, he is a light for two reasons, for a revelation to the Gentiles, that's us. The gospel has come to us. Our eyes are open to the glory of God in the person of Christ. And secondly, for the glory of your people Israel. I don't know if you remember this, back in the book of, of Samuel, uh, God's judgment fell upon Eli and his two sons. They both were killed. And one of Eli's sons, he was the high priest at that time, and one of his sons, his wife was pregnant, and she gave birth to a child. Just as this thing happened, as her husband, brother-in-law, and father-in-law all were killed because of their sin and their sinful lives. And so she named the baby boy that she gave birth to Ichabod. And Ichabod means the glory has departed. The reason she said that was that the Philistines had come in and killed them and stole the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was the manifest glory of God. It was, it was put in the Holy of Holies. This is where God manifests his glories, glory before the eyes of his people Israel. And it had departed. Now, in the book of Ezekiel, it gives us a picture of the glory of, the, uh, glory of God departing from the temple. And he actually says they should write Ichabod over the doorpost. The glory had departed. Well, now... Many, many, many years later, over 500 years later, the glory returns in the person of Jesus Christ. You've heard this word Shekinah. Uh, that's how they say it in Oklahoma. It's, the Hebrew word is Shekinah, but I like Shekinah better anyway. <laughs> but the Shekinah glory is the manifest glory of God. In other words, it's glory that can be seen. And it's incredibly impressive. When your eyes are open to the glory of God, it humbles you. And every person we have, every time in Scripture, 
that a person comes up against the glory of God. Every single time someone finds himself in the presence, the manifest presence of God, they fall on their face and repent because God is glorious. And so Jesus comes into the world and he reveals the glory of God. And you say, well, I didn't, I've heard about Jesus. I didn't know he revealed the glory. Read about him. Get in his word and just read about him. And you'll discover that he is glorious. And he is exactly how God unveils his glory to us in the person of Jesus Christ. So he's able, so we should turn to Jesus because he came into our world to give us the help we need, because he is God's way of salvation. And third, because he is able, he is able to reveal the glory of God to you. And then the fourth reason is, is because, yes, the fourth reason is because he is the only revealer of hearts. Now, notice uh, in verse 35 what it says. And a sword will pierce even your own soul, is said to Mary, to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What is he talking about? He's talking about the things that are going to be said and done to her son whom she loves. The son is going, is a divider. That is Jesus Christ. Remember in, in John chapter one, verse nine, it says, there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. Now enlightens in this sense means shines a light on them. You get in the presence of Jesus and you see yourself, you see who you really are. And every time that happened, as I said, people repented. And so what's going to happen is there are going to be many that oppose Jesus because their deeds are evil. They didn't like the light. They didn't like the, the presence of Jesus among them because he, re, he revealed, his very presence revealed their sin and how far from God they really were. He revealed their hearts. And this is what happens when you come to him. He reveals your heart. He opens your eyes to the truth about yourself. Christianity, as we've said over and over and over again, is not religion. Religion is a way to work to receive God's blessing. Christianity is about the gospel. It's the good news of what God has done in Christ Jesus. And so one of the, one of the ways that God brings us to the place of repentance and faith is he reveals his glory through his son. And it opens our eyes to our great, great need of salvation and being made whole. And then, uh, fifth, because he is the one who can set you free. Verse 38, coming up to them at that very moment, she, that is Anna, gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. The word redemption, lutrosis, means uh, to be liberated. It was typically used of liberating slaves. Now, a price had to be paid, but the emphasis of this word is the fact that it brings freedom and liberty. And Jesus Christ is the one who is the redemption. He is the one who's going to liberate Jerusalem. And you might think, well, how is that? How did he liberate Jerusalem? I mean, reweeding the news all the time, all the problems that are going on in Jerusalem. Well, let me show you what happened. If you'll turn over to uh, Hebrews chapter 12 for just a moment. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. The book of Hebrews is all about how Jesus is far above everything else. He is supreme. And in verse 18, he says, For you have not come to a mountain, and he's talking about Sinai, 
when the children of Israel came to Mount Sinai, remember they were scared to death because God displayed his glory and power on Mount Sinai, lightning, thunder, wind, and they were scared to death. In fact, they were warned, don't even let an animal touch the mountain or he'll die because of the presence of God. But he says, that's not what you come to today. He says, for you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and to a blazing fire and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard, that is, they heard the voice of God and they begged that no further word be spoken to them. They wanted God to speak to Moses and then they would listen to Moses, they said. But listen, for they could not bear the command, if even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. Here's the leader. And the leader, Moses, is in fear and trembling because he is seeing the manifest appearance of God. But this is what the writer of Hebrews says. But you, believer, when you come to Christ, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels to the general assembly in the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of all of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood, that is the solution for your sin, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. You see, what we come to, what Jesus brings us to, is he brings us into the very presence of God. He has set us free. He has set Jerusalem free. Jerusalem now is a heavenly Jerusalem. And uh, that is, the, the Jerusalem is the center of God's people. And now there's this, there is a new Jerusalem in the third heaven, and the new Jerusalem is going to come back to earth. Then the, the kingdom of God is going to come to earth, and Christ is going to reign over his people. And so the, the redemption that has come to Israel and to Jerusalem specifically in this context, is a redemption that Jesus brought through his work. And then the, the next, the last thing, six, is because he is the one who has authority to save you. He is the one who has the authority to save you. Notice in verse 49, why were you searching for me, Jesus says. This is, a, this is the boy Jesus. This is the second story. It's about Jesus. He's 12 years old. Now he's 12, think of this, this is the eternal son of God who's now 12 years old, and they go up to the Passover. Now here's the way it would work. A 12-year-old boy would begin to be trained to participate in Passover and the other festivals, be a a son of the the, uh, covenant. And so they would begin training him by taking him to these events. And Jesus goes with them. And then when he's a couple years older, he would become a full son of the covenant. And so he goes with them. But what happened was when they left, they thought he was with them and he wasn't. I would would ask the question, have any of you ever forgotten your children at church? But I don't want to embarrass you. Because I've seen that happen many times where uh, people, you know, come meet with the saints and then they leave and they forgot their little child was asleep on a pew. Now, that's why we have these chairs. So no no child's going to go to sleep on these things. But they left, and they're in a caravan. They're with their family and friends. And they get down the road a day, and they finally start looking for Jesus, thinking he's with one of his cousins or something. This is the eternal Son of God who's 12 years old in his human nature. 
And so they go back to find him. And she scolds him. Why did you do this to us? That's what you would say, wouldn't it? If one of your children wandered off and you didn't know where they were and you were scared to death. And so Jesus says, why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? It says in most translations, but quite literally, it's in my father's things. Darby's translation, I think, catches it best. Did you not know that I ought to be occupied in my father's business? See, this is the way it worked. This is a 12-year-old boy who was being mentored by his dad, his human father, Joseph, to be a carpenter. And so as he grew, he would eventually take over that business. In fact, Joseph dies, and he becomes the primary breadwinner for his family. And so what it would be right for a son to do would be always to be watching over the family business if his father wasn't there. And so Jesus says to her, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? Well, what is the father's business? The father's business is his people, saving his people, and making the home the kingdom of God. This is why Jesus is reigning over the kingdom of God right now from the third heaven. It's called the kingdom of his dear son, we're told in Colossians 1. And so Jesus, even at 12 years old, understood that this is why he'd come to the earth. This is why he was born into this world, was to accomplish his father's purposes. You remember, the Bible over and over and over again says that the father sent the son into the world to save his people. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ, his son, died for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so Jesus understood that's why he came into the world. And so that's why he was talking to these teachers in the temple about the things of God. And they were stunned by it. I remember having a 12-year-old kid in a class I was teaching at Grace School of Theology. His mother was going through the course, and he was homeschooled, so she would bring him with her. And, uh, and so he would sit in there. I think he was about 12 years old. He ended up actually coming to Grace School some years later after he graduated from high school. But he, uh, he didn't ask these kinds of questions. He just sat there very quietly and listened. And his mother would whisper things to him. I guess she was interpreting for him. But Jesus understood that he had the authority to save. That's why God sent him into the world. And then finally, the last thing, the seventh thing, perfect number, huh? Because he is the one whom the Father sent to save you. He's the one that the Father sent to save you. In verse 52, it says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, For since by a man came death, that is Adam, when he fell, he brought death into the human race. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. And you remember the very first promise of a deliverer coming in the world to save his people is Genesis 3.15. And what is he called there? He's called the seed of the woman. He's going to be a human being. He's going to have a real human nature. And so this eternal son of God who comes into the world to save his people is also a descendant of Eve and Abraham and David and on and on and on. Jesus Christ came into this world. Philippians 2 says, even though he was in the form of God, he did not think being equal with God was something he had to grasp, hold on to, and use for his own benefit. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. He came into the world 
and he appeared as a servant in order to save us from our sins. So my appeal to you is, whoever you are, whatever your relationship with God is at this moment, is that Jesus is the only one who can save us from our sins, which includes not only delivering us from that which would destroy us, the wrath of God on the day of judgment, but he also makes us whole. He makes us whole and complete. He works in us. He produces in us a change. That's Jesus Christ. And every person should turn to him because he came into our world all the way down to where we are. Think of this. He's in the third heaven, which we don't even know where that's at. We don't know if it's north, south, east, or west. We just know that God dwells in a place called the third heaven, and he sends his son all the way down to the earth to where we are in order to save us from our sins. He comes down into the pit where we are in order to bring us up. And he's brought us up into the very presence of God and put us in the family of God. And so he came into our world to give us the help we needed because we, meet, we needed more than a jump in our car. We needed, we needed God to lift us out of the pit we were in and out of the sin and, and death and all that sin entails. And that's what Jesus did. He came down to save us. And secondly, because he is God's way of salvation, there is salvation in no other. No other name given among men by which we must be saved. And because he is able to reveal the glory of God to you. If you're not impressed with God, you need to get a little closer to Jesus. The way you get closer to Jesus, if you're not a believer, is just start reading his word. Start, Start reading through the New Testament and seeing who Jesus really is. And then fourth, because he's the only revealer of hearts. Fifth, because he is the one who can set you free. He can liberate you. Sixth, because he's the one who has the authority to save you. And no one else does. He has the authority, the power, and the desire. Seventh, because he is the one whom the Father sent to save you. That's the greatest, that is the greatest measure of love there is. Jesus is the one who said there's no greater love than this that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And that's what he's done for us. But the Father gave him. And he has come to accomplish his work. So I want to pray for us today. Our Father, we are so very grateful for the fact that you've opened the eyes of those of us who have come to faith in Christ. We saw our need, our sinfulness, and we saw his glory and his righteousness We put our trust in him in response to this promise, the promise that if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved, and that's exactly what took place. So I pray for us today, Father. I pray that we would take seriously the fact that you have presented to us this offer of salvation in Christ Jesus, and you've called us to believe on him. You've promised us salvation, but we have to receive it as a gift and not something we can earn. So I pray for us that the, that the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, would sink deep into our hearts. That for those who don't know him, they would be so troubled over the next few days, they could not find a solution until they turned to him. We pray, O oh God, that the gospel would go out in power in us and then through us to others. We thank you that we can rely upon you to fulfill your good work and your good plan. In Jesus' name, amen.
I wanted to show you two other things, and that is what I just quoted. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved, except the name of Jesus. And then finally, Acts 16. You know this event. This is when Paul and Silas are in prison in Philippi, and there's an earthquake, and the doors fly open, and the jailer is scared to death because if they get out, if they get freed, he's going to be killed for it. And so he is shaking like a leaf, and Paul says, don't harm yourself. Everybody's still here. And he immediately says, what must I do to be saved? And the answer comes back, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. I I hope that sticks in your mind and in your heart. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.